Not My Department, was a show. This 1987 satire was produced by the CBC and takes on government bureaucracy in Ottawa. The show centers around the fictional Department of Regional Incentive Targets, or DRIT. Quelle idée amusante. That was a show takes a drive north of the border to review a Canadian sitcom for the very first time. Bryn, Aaron, and Barry fill out the appropriate access to information request forms and politely ask why this show didn't get re-elected after its first term in office. <laughs> Cold Open. We grew up during peak sitcom. Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince. But those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were cancelled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring... Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of That Was a Show. Welcome to my co-hosts, Bryn and Barry. Hello. Thanks, honey. <laughs> I'd like to give a shout out to one of my best friends, Adam, who is visiting from San Francisco and brought me an amazing sitcom themed gift that I think you'll both appreciate. It is the Seinfeld Lego set. So I'm pretty excited to build that. I feel like you're going to build that tonight. I, uh, it's like 1300 pieces. I was looking at it the other day. It, it, <laughs> oh, it's a yeah. Top. It's big, man. Well, because we have to, you have to build the walls and everything. So and the fl you build the floor too, and wow. it has the it has the the lights. That's like our puzzle pro. Instead of puzzles, we'll be working yeah. on that. One thousand three hundred and twenty six pieces. Yeah. it's Lego, but it's rated eighteen plus. Yeah, they they I started. Love... They uh, they have some adult Aww. sets now. I love Elaine's hair. And there's a like, Festivus perfect. pole. There's, There's all, all sorts the of perfect little details. Seeing as how we've made it this far, it seems appropriate that we finally do an episode about a Canadian sitcom. Yeah, this is our obligatory CanCon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we get it, guys. The, the responses were overwhelming. Will do not my department. The CBC <laughs> night, the CBC show. God, just leave us alone about it. <laughs> the people have spoken and we have responded. Yeah, uh, that was all sarcasm. Literally, no one has asked us to do this show, but you know, we're we're, we're gonna do it. We're excited. I'm genuinely excited to talk about a Canadian sitcom. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Okay, please. L'année était 1987, and somewhere north of the 49th parallel, in a little, but actually immensely vast, country called Canada, a situation comedy program was produced by a network, but actually a chronically underfunded public broadcaster, <laughs> called Radio-Canada, or CBC. Yes, that CBC, more recently of Schitt's Creek fame. Ce programme s'appelait Not My Department based on the novel The Governor-General's Bunny Hop, Ugh. 
and originally <laughs> and originally adapted under the working title Welcome to Ottawa. It was canceled après six episodes. <laughs> The series starred Harry Ditson as Gerald Angstrom and Shelley Peterson, who was the wife of the actual Premier of Ontario at the time, David Peterson, as Margaret Simmons. Both were civil servants in Ottawa, working for the fictional Department of Regional Incentive Targets, or DRIT. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of mileage on that one. A government ministry whose purpose was to deal with files that other government ministries swept under the proverbial rug. Acid troll. <laughs> Alpha Boucher plays Henri, who runs a chip wagon outside the government office. I don't know if chip wagon is a term used outside Canada, but en guise d'explication, a chip wagon is like a hot dog stand or food truck, but specifically for French fries. I don't feel like chip wagon has been used uh, past 1990. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And if so, I don't know if Canadians call me call me out on this. We don't call them chips outside of fish and chips. No, like, we that's... don't. But I will admit, like growing up, I remember hearing about or thinking about those trucks such as oh, the yeah. ones parked outside Toronto City Hall as chip wagons for some reason. So, anyway. oh yeah, no, I we 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 still call them chip yeah. wagons, but we don't call them chips. Unlike this show, true, really true, loves to suggest because they said chips multiple times. Very good point. I'm sorry, derailed. So this was a show making fun of government bureaucracy in an era when criticizing the very existence of government was très populaire. We watched the first and second episodes. The show seems almost like a procedural, with each episode having a plot driven by some sort of wonky political scandal. Dans le premier episode, the scandal is that Drit appears to have spent their entire annual budget in the first two months of the year, and about a billion dollars has gone missing. They manage to account for half the amount in what are supposedly legitimate expenditures, the joke being that things like $50,000 for paper clips is legitimate, <laughs> There's still half a billion dollars missing. It turns out that the very person charged with investigating the department for fraud is himself responsible, having accidentally ordered half a billion dollars in video equipment. We're all shaking our heads. In the, <laughs> in the second episode, the government is obsessed with privatizing things, as governments do, especially in the 80s. And the folks I mean, it's happening now. <laughs> And the folks at Drit hear through the grapevine that their whole department is next on the chopping block. After some digging, they find out that the private corporation trying to buy their department is planning to do so with government grant money that was in fact given to them by Drit. So by simply not making the next grant payment, they can put a stop to the whole thing. <laughs> Which is, I'm sure, exactly how these things work. So that's the show summary, avec un peu de français, just like when we sang the national anthem in school as kids. Why? Parce que les ananas ne dansent pas. Just a little joke for our fellow Canadians. I'm Canadian. I don't get any of it. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, a show that knows just as little about Canadian politics as I do. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I love how, like, right off the bat, I just want to say I love how Henri, the, uh, the chip truck... Uh, guy is the one who's always in the know about things. He's always got the like hot goss or the, the deep <laughs> yeah. intel. Yeah. Like he's always the one who kind of 
kind of stoking the rumor mill. Well, like, he, he's almost like uh, a character. That's a cute like if you imagine like the, the bartender at the local watering hole where yeah. people would go after work and the guy would be like standing there kind of cleaning glasses and just gossiping about things going on. It's like that sort of tone, but like the chip wagon parked in front of the sidewalk. <laughs> except, except for like the set doesn't have any room for him to in any way like be preparing food yeah like yeah. he just he just has like it's just a counter and like mm -hmm. that's it yeah uh <laughs> first of all i want to say that the show's logo that appears in the opening titles oh boy is exactly how canadian government documents and logos looked at the time uh, with like two thirds of the flag and then this simple sans serif text in red next to it that says the name of the department. But even so, these titles look like some cheap Chiron putting up live it text does. on like a cable access <laughs> they news were show. All, yeah, they remind me of the of the like effects that we did like in television production courses, like like they were all in camera like yeah. titles like no there was nobody in an art department working these up they were just in-camera titles yeah. yeah it was it's ridiculous. very like yeah like, low the budge space, the spacing wasn't even right like on the titles <laughs> yeah i mean as soon as i saw that up on the screen i was like uh oh uh -oh. <laughs> i was like we're in yeah. for it and then the very first scene is with the with henri with his chip wagon and right off the bat you know, taking huge shots across the bow at government waste and, and in this very like classic 80s fashion of just yeah. like this smarmy rants about how everything in government is useless and wasteful and got to get the government off yeah. my back. And it's all about like the little guy knows knows what's best and all of so that. So it's the Canadian answer to all that kind of propaganda that was in American television yeah. at the time. So it is astute. Like it is a like a good yeah, parody. Except for it was all this was all paid for by the Canadian government. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's a little well, wackadoodle. I mean, the CBC is is like much like the BBC in the UK. I mean, it's like an arm's length branch of the government, but yeah. I mean, it's a little hard to tell in the tone of the show whether some of the jokes are in earnest or sarcastic. It's sometimes a little ambiguous, but it is worth giving the context that, I mean, our prime minister at the time, Brian Mulroney, was like the Canadian equivalent of, of Reagan with that sort of particular wave of conservative politics. And it does seem like this show is of its time, but sometimes it's hard to tell whether they're criticizing those yeah. attitudes or kind of in their own smarmy way supporting those attitudes. I think they were criticizing them as much as they were allowed. Yeah. I think I think that's, that that's every I think that every script got sent back with a million like <laughs> a million notes that had to be fixed until it was like just this plain oatmeal of a script like it would yeah. there is not a single bit of flavor in this script it is just so safe yeah it's it's kind of like sorry but you're gonna have to change that line of dialogue <laughs> yeah there's a lot of stories in yeah. this uh, I mean, okay, it's it, it's interesting. It's I don't quite know what to make of the tone of the show. I, there are things I like. I do like things that kind of poke fun at government bureaucracy and are kind of 
you know, like a little bit absurd and trying to make a point. And again, I do kind of stan uh, Henri and his whole being like the guy who knows everything. Mm -hmm. Like that is cute. Like that is like a fun thing. But like the tone, you know, it's just a bit off and it is hard to like really know. Like who are we supposed to be behind here? Like who are we supposed to be cheering for? Yeah, because Anyone? Gerald, Gerald, who like kind of, you know is sort of the lead, like you know he's he he knows more than everybody and he's above it all and like he fixes things. But I'm also like you're also like a piece of shit, dude. Like yeah. you're not you're not somebody that I like. He's you not just, like a I Leslie like you. Nope. You know yeah. he's not. You know. Yeah, that's a good comparison. This is a show that would want to exist in the world of Parks and Rec. Yes. Let's not pretend yeah. that it's in that ballpark of comedy but that's like what it's going for is the like absurd comically mundane satire on a government department where you can't exactly tell what they're supposed to be doing and they don't even really know what they're supposed to be doing and you know some of them are passionate about having their jobs and some of them are very cynical like it does sort of exist in that world there's a line where i thought okay this is like interesting in in a self-deprecating Canadian way where uh, there's a line on the phone where it's like, stay out of my department and give my love to Janice and the kids. <laughs> like yelling that into a phone, just the idea that like- It's still yeah, kind it's of still, nice. It's yeah. still nice and polite. And, but it was very clearly in like a- Yeah. Taking the piss out of us a little bit. I liked, yeah, I liked that. It, it was, that was amusing. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was funny that- the whole scandal with the money was on video equipment. Like, how is it possible to spend half a billion okay. dollars on so video equipment? I want to spend well, also, how can you order, like, <sighs> sorry, the whole plot was just so stupid. Yeah, like, I, how do you accidentally, or, how do you accidentally order half a billion dollars? Like, you don't. What is, what is, like, what is. That's a lot of money. Is, that was even no, more but, money back then. Like, <laughs> no, but like, what is the, like, was he on the phone? Like, was he, no. Yeah, like, how does there's that work? No He's just ordering it from the video place. I want to spend several minutes talking about how implausible this is. Let's get into it. Because there's sitcom logic and then there's this. (laughs) To to your point. Yeah. Yeah. It's very unclear in the episode how this clerical error happened because they have all these like weird dot matrix computer printouts and codes and weird things on computers where somehow this guy added some zeros to the order. So instead of $50,000 of video equipment, it's $500 million worth of video equipment. But there are many problems with that. Yeah. So even if we give them the benefit of the doubt that that clerical error happened the way they claim, who is filling that order? What uh-huh. retailer has that kind of stock on hand? No, no nobody. One, no one's getting an order for half a billion dollars, especially of, in nineteen eighty-seven. <laughs> but no one's getting an order for half a billion dollars of video equipment and saying, "Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to fulfill this order with my warehouse filled to the sky with video equipment." Plus, video equipment is not some like commodity product that's sold by weight or something like (laughs) video equipment quote unquote what does that mean like cameras cables switchers monitors i mean you don't just buy a price worth of video equipment (laughs) you'd have to buy a number of units of particular types of items it makes absolutely no sense yeah it's really bad 
I mean, the script is just like it's like if you're if you your accounting department wrote a script, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> but do we think that this was maybe a note? Do we think maybe it was something else that they spent the money on and they like hastily were like, oh no, it can't be that. We got to change it to this. No, it feels very specific because they yeah. think it's funny because they're also in TV. So right, maybe, maybe, yeah. and I do like how they called back to it in the second episode where what's his name is like filming the minister there, and he can't use he can't use the camera properly, yeah, he's really and bad it's all at these it. like weird angles, and he's like trying desperately to like use this video equipment yeah. because which but is he was a fun already used, but no, it was. I wish I could call it a callback. Because it wasn't. He al- <laughs> he was already recording all of his stuff on video before all that. Oh, God. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Good point. Which was already in itself a really stupid. Yeah. Stupid. You're joke. right. You're right. Ugh. He's right. It's not really oh, a yeah. callback. Um, yeah. This show See, is. And here I am trying to like redeem it. Like... <laughs> this show yeah. is so into the weeds on Canadian civil service stuff. It almost feels like the intended audience are bureaucrats who are into self-deprecating humor like it hardly even seems like it's aimed at a general audience because some of the particular you know terminology for things and the way that they talk about like you really have to know a bit about how government works not in the sense of like elected politics but like how the civil service works like because there's so much emphasis on like the deputy minister and the assistant deputy minister (laughs) and all of these like terms that are a big deal to people who work in government but not to anyone else (laughs) it's very very niche and i mean it definitely fulfills the whole mandate of cbc where it's like what makes this show distinctly canadian it's like i don't know everything like you know yeah yeah that's for sure (laughs) absolutely everything um should we talk about the accents (laughs) i mean if anyone out there has seen the uh like kroll show sketches that are about canadians like wheels ontario or show us your songs canada uh yeah everyone in this show basically speaks with those accents and uh like gene creamers yeah it's basically like john daly watched this show to prepare to play gene (laughs) creamers oh yeah they're pretty thick the whole time i'm like we don't sound like that do we i hope i don't sound like that it seems like the show was shot single cam am i right about that it was it was uh it was shot single cam on very very low fidelity video as well um and it's weird because the most noticeable thing about it right off the bat is the because of the style of writing there there it's written for a show that would be three cam but it is shot single cam and it is written in a way that you would think there would be a laugh track right um yeah. but there is but there is not yeah um and that feels very deliberate, but I don't really get it. Yeah. Because it, like, you're right. It, it is. There was just there's also not really much of a soundtrack to speak of. Like it just sort of. Yeah. It feels like dead air. It does. Uh, yeah. Like it's just people speaking their lines, uh, you know, 
adequate adequately <laughs> um and then moving on oh my god the pacing in the first episode like they 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 stop and start every scene like they keep having like basically the scene is over and over and over again like the deputy director coming into the guy's office <laughs> okay so i'm so glad you said that cuz one of my notes is like a lot of walking in and out of rooms a lot of talking oh, yeah. across boring and desks. Like sometimes they would cut from a scene of them talking in the office to a scene of her walking into the office and then just talking yeah. again. It felt like the equivalent of like the Aaron Sorkin walk and talk, but coming in and out of doors. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was it was the ent- enter and sit. The entrance it was, version. It was, it was a real it was a real enter and sit. Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like it was also like much again, like sports night. It seemed like some of the camera angles were these sort of over-the-shoulder shots and close-ups that are coverage that you'd expect in a drama. But mm-hmm. to your point, Barry, with a dialogue pacing and editing that you'd expect of a three-camera show with space for laughter in between. And and the performances. Like the performances were were not like the more nuanced performance of single camera comedy. They were more mm-hmm. they were bigger. Yeah. So so to speak. Uh, yeah. like, like they thought they were going to be in front of an audience. Yeah, big stage performances, and I also yeah. noticed that the the scene in the first episode where the the big guys are moving furniture out of the office, and yeah. and there's that whole confrontation. The audio sounded like really big and reverby, like it was on a big stage, and there was like a lot of the sound design was like a lot of room tone and a lot of like background noise, but in a way that. Maybe it didn't sound yeah. like it worked like it, but it seemed like it was a deliberate choice for that it was, scene. It was something. There was a lot of something's going on in this. I mean, uh, is this just like the way kind of lower budget television is shot back then? Like, I just feel like maybe because yes. this yeah. kind of reminds me a bit of like the original, like the very original, like Degrassi, like how it was like kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, like the it's very just low, first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was not a lot of money in these productions. No, like it's like very kind of lo-fi. It's, you know, people using, you know, video for the first time. (laughs) Like, so it it has that that feeling where it's like slightly, you know. It has, yeah, yeah. it has all the staging and feeling of like, like a a late 80s, like British sitcom. Oh, Um, that's a good point. Yeah, but but you really realize how far uh, the charm of a nice accent uh, takes you <laughs> in, in comedy because this one does not have that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, conceptually, there are elements that I find interesting or clever, like conceptually, but they all just kind of fall flat in the execution. Yeah, yeah. L- largely, like you said, because they're too safe. Yeah, I mean, it's like too safe and yeah, they're afraid to go any like sharper with anything. Yeah. Like they're afraid to, you know. It feels like you could punch this up. Like you could take this type of premise and punch it up into something that's funnier. Yes, but I feel like we're a lot of punch ups away because then I would you would also want to uh, recast uh, and then you would also want to <laughs> reshoot, uh, you know, you would redress the sets. You basically, you have to make an, 
completely different television show for this to be anywhere close to yeah. decent. Fair Not enough. Even, Fair enough. I didn't say good. I said decent. Like yeah. this, this is so far away from where decent begins. Yeah. But there's like, it, I, it, yeah. there's like idea nuggets that are, that are clever. Like, so there's a French character who can't speak English. And when he's pressed to try, he says things that are, it's the trope that you usually see in the opposite where someone who can only speak English tries to speak a different language, but because they only know like a few words that they learned in elementary school, they say something in French or in Spanish or in German or in some other language. And then the subtitles reveal that they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So it's the flip of that where it's someone who's francophone trying to speak English, but doesn't know how. And that's kind of funny, but it also comes like out of context and the character yeah. like that character isn't even really established. Like in that right. scene, I'm also yeah, kind of like, who is this guy? He's, well, he's not part of the he's not part of the ensemble. He's just kind of there. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. He's just it's somebody so, who works. Yeah. They, no, he's not the guy in the credits. I thought he was, too, but he's right. not like they clearly oh. he was like a creed. Like he would have oh, okay. popped up, he would have popped up every now and then, oh. if, you know. And but, I yeah. mean, I'm sorry, but that is like pretty problematic, right? That like, because it's usually the other way around in Canada. It's usually us Anglophones who don't know how to speak proper French. And you well, know. I, I mean, I think that's my point. Yeah. Is that's why it's supposed to be funny? Is right. what if it was the reverse? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. I I think it. I yeah, I think the the. The execution is poor, but the concept yeah. there is, is. I don't think sad. it's necessarily problematic because if you think about it, like, why should it be assumed that someone who's French has to speak English? It should be no. the responsibility of other people higher up in that department to be able to be bilingual. So, yeah, of course. The implication course. is, like, why should he be forced to have to have, like, he's being interrogated by this right. person, and that person's like, this meeting is being conducted in English. And so why yeah. should he be forced to? Yeah, right. to I think speak the, the joke the the joke is on the right side. Yeah, okay. Um, it's just like everything else, just poorly executed. Like, yeah, I don't even know if the guy really speaks French. Like yeah. that's yeah, like yeah. they should be speaking French to him. Yeah, okay, you're right. And as I say that, like like they should be speaking French to him, the bureaucrats. But that's the whole joke, that, isn't yeah. it? Yes, that's the yeah. joke. So this is the problem with the show: is that you don't know that. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like you don't know that right away. Like it's so subtle or so like it's yeah. You yeah. know, we don't, you you you're yeah. killing for you're you're honestly you're you're killing for for a laugh track in yeah. this show. You're just <laughs> yeah. like uh, you because all the pacing is there of somebody telling jokes, yeah. but like you would swear it wasn't actually in English. Like me, was the French or was the script written in French and then badly translated back to English? <laughs> Maybe that's what this whole thing was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Maybe. and the land, sea, and air stock footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't well. Nobody was quick cutting things back then. I, I, I mean, I would have just cut the whole damn thing out. There, you know what? There was one funny joke in that whole segment. <laughs> so not the not the whole Contras thing. Yeah, the like, Iran Contra joke spectacle is pretty ridiculous, although it is timely. But like again, it, it's not funny in its execution. <laughs> I did like the idea that the guy with, the guy was reaching so hard to get rid of the equipment. He's like the production value on those hostage videos is terrible, and I'm like that is way darker than this show. 
skewed. Yeah, how did that joke yeah. get approved? Like, how did yeah, that joke? That's that's the edgy joke that managed to slip okay through. They were okay with that joke, but not you know, not some of the other potential jo- ones. But not jokes. Yeah, like I mean, they they you know they sanded the edges off of other jokes, but not yeah. that one for some reason. Weird. Which is the only joke that I thought was funny. <laughs> One of the things that I think is maybe like kind of a problem with the show is that on the one hand, it's trying to play off of the comically mundane kind of like The Office or Parks and Rec, like where mm-hmm. the the setting for the characters is something that's low key and mundane, like this sort of mm-hmm. bland government department. But at the same time, they're going really high concept and over the top with the plots with right. these like billion dollar scandals and massive high stakes situations where in episode two, their whole department could be shut down. Like they're trying to thread this needle of dialogue and plot stakes that are really up there, but trying to exist in this world that's like just people coming in and out of offices in this (laughs) government department where we don't even really know what anyone's job is. And it's like, couldn't they try to keep things within that world like keep keep the plot into that scale at least it's all situation and no comedy and and also no character like i don't i don't know anything about the two league characters outside of that they are the two league characters in this show i don't need to know their job like i get i get that i do know their jobs like they're you know the the director and the deputy director of this department i don't know anything about them I yep. don't know yep. what well, their world... Well, we know world... the, the one woman has a brother <laughs> who doesn't you're... want her to work in so, you you're know, right. civil I, service. I guess, yeah, yeah. And she's about rich. It. Yes, and she's and from she's a waspy family. Oh, and there's one thing we know about him. We know that he wears a trench coat. And for some reason, in each episode, there's one moment where it breaks into random film noir style yes. narration what with music. Fuck? So I will say this. Weirdly enough, I don't think those two things are related. That was the style. My dad was a banker in the 80s and he wore that exact same trench coat. But I guess my dad had one up, too. What was up with the film noir yes. like narration? It's and so like, weird. Why are we only bringing this yeah. up now? That was the weirdest part of it. So, and like they were, <laughs> you know, they were playing like a little light saxophone underneath it too. Like, yeah, you know, the like music it was, was on point. It was like the, the only, only music, music in the show. Yeah. yeah. To give some context to the audience, in the first episode, it's playing out as this kind of low-key sitcom with, yeah, like, not really any music, we don't learn much about these characters, but there isn't any, like, weird particular style. And then, at the very end of the episode, it breaks into film noir-style narration and music, where we learn that the main character is kind of like the protagonist in a 1940s film noir, And then in the second episode, that thing happens again at a random different spot in the episode. I wrote down one part of one of his lines in episode two, as I walked along these filthy streets. Meanwhile, Ottawa's pretty clean. (laughs) Excessively clean. But this is never established as a motif for the series. No. Yeah. No. It's no, there weird, isn't. Yeah. Like I would, you like if you want to use that, you open the episode with that, or you yeah. do the, or you 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 would differentiate between the acts like that. You yeah. use it uh, uh, for act breaks and stuff. Exactly. But no, like, there's no, 
Again, I think the accounting department wrote this um, <laughs> show. I really don't. I do not think a comedy writer was involved in the writing of well, this show. Because, like, frankly, the people that did write it didn't do anything else. It was the only <laughs> thing they did. I was really, I'm really excited for Six Degrees of Friends. I have to say, well, we were watching it and I was like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's somehow different from what you'd expect from a sitcom in all of these um, format yeah. areas, but the the dialogue and the acting is very sitcom-y. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, I usually expect jokes, but that's me. I'm asking a lot from my sitcoms. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the uh, episode two, again, uh, completely implausible stakes for the episode where, you know, we're learning about how uh, their department might get privatized and sold off to some corporation in a way that doesn't make any sense and with this b story where margaret uh <laughs> is meeting with her brother for lunch or something and it is a very like late 80s country club okay. sort of like yeah i need to call out uh, the pink and navy blue like decor it was like triggering it was like very late oh, of the, 80s. the the fancy yes. restaurant they the went to three that they went to three times yes yeah like that, that, that blue and dusty rose was very triggering it's like that is too <laughs> well, Barry, they the built that whole perfect. set they had to get their money's worth out Ugh. of it it the set the set design for the restaurant was so poor that i was just like is this like did babu bot open this restaurant like is this like <laughs> what what is the design in this restaurant yeah, yeah. and like, her brother is like the the really sort of preppy rich like born into money guy who works for the family business who's shaming her for working for government and he's pretty sexist and like you expect him to sound a certain way and speak a certain way but then he's very <laughs> much like you know he's, ca he's canadian <laughs> very very canadian like Dug in a hockey jersey. Yeah. But he has a but he has in like that a tire. He has like a pastel sweater, like like draped over his shoulders. Yeah. He's oh. got all the iconography of an 80s wasp, but then he sounds super Canadian. Like it's a really it's really off-putting. Yeah, it's 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 uh the Bob and Doug McKenzie sketch from like SCTV <laughs> crossed with like Harvard people. It's like really a weird Mix a weird up. dynamic, yeah. Yeah, just picture like the guy who challenges Will Hunting in a bar, uh, yes. but like can but Canadian, <laughs> but Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. So in my research for this show, one of the things I looked at was the sources at the bottom of the Wikipedia entry, and there were a <laughs> bunch of like reviews of the show from the time, and none of these seemed to still be easily available online. Like none of these links worked, but. I could read the headlines from the reviews because the headlines were there on Wikipedia. So I just want to read these headlines because this is pretty funny. So these are five different headlines from the Toronto Star during the show's brief run in the fall of 1987 in order by date. So it's almost like every week that the show ran. Here's a headline. September 17th, Shelley juggles politics, comma, sitcom like a trooper. <laughs> October 2nd. Just whose Department of Unfunny Affairs is this? <laughs> October 14th. Comedy series should be cancelled. <laughs> can, you, 
can you sorry? Can you imagine like a, a, a newspaper specifically calling for the cancellation yeah, of a that's television not, show? That's not something they do often. October twenty eighth, CBC quotes pleased with ratings for TV comedy. <laughs> oh boy! And November four, Peterson show should be killed now. <laughs> killed. Killed. Uh, I mean, it sounds about right. I feel oh, like there's always this push stuff. and pull when it comes to our own yeah. television. You know, there are certainly beloved shows and there are shows that have done really well on an international stage. But I think it like takes a lot for like everybody in the public to like come together for one Canadian yeah. show. And, and like, well, it's, it's I mean, it's the star. It's it's the Toronto star. For, for, I mean, yeah. they're there. Yeah. For our non-Canadian listeners, the Toronto Star is the largest circulation newspaper in Canada. It's kind yeah. of equivalent to the New York Times here. It yeah. is the biggest paper here. And so when they would it's have like the biggest media brand. Yeah. You when know? they would have reviewed, especially in the late 80s, if they were reviewing a show or movie like that would carry weight. Yeah. So pretty funny. <laughs> Bryn, what can you tell us about Six Degrees of Friends? Yeah, so Barry, yeah, uh, as you've said, you're anxious to uh, actually learn what the the tea is on this. And like, I assumed as well that it would be quite a struggle to connect not my department to Friends, the biggest sitcom of the 90s. Um, but actually, it was more straightforward than you would think. <laughs> um, so not my department is separated from friends by three degrees. Ooh. Oh, my. oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Do tell. Right. So I, I found it. I was able to do it through the same actor, but two different connections. Uh, well, sort of two different connections. Anyway, so Suzanne Coy, who played Sheila Valentine, one of the, you know, employees of the, the ministry. Um, so she was part of the ensemble of Not My Department. She guest starred on Dream On. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting because that's a show I really want to do at some point too. I know, too. that's why I was telling you I, in my I, prep I brief, that you would- I briefly was like, did we do Dream On? No, we have not done Dream On. <laughs> no, but one of these days. Yeah, Dream On was created by David Crane and Marta Kaufman. Oh, okay. David Crane and Marta Kaufman went on to create Friends. So three degrees. Um, another connection still through that universe is, again, Susan Coy. Wait, isn't that two degrees? No, it's three degrees. Not my department to dream on. Yeah. Dream on to, to friends. friends. That's two degrees. Is it? Yeah, we've had this debate many times. Oh my God, fuck my life. Okay. <laughs> okay, so it's closer than I thought. So it's two degrees. Right on. Okay, and so obviously it's still through Suzanne Coy and um, Dream On, but it's through her co-star. Her co-star um, on Dream On was Dorian Wilson. Dorian Wilson guest starred on Friends in two different episodes Playing two different characters. Ooh, bold. Well, so Dream okay. On was the factor that connected That's it. interesting. Yeah. I guess it must have been produced here in Canada because there were a lot of, I think there were a lot of Canadian actors on that show. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe yeah interesting yeah. to check into. Yeah. So uh, do you want to do the spinoff? Yeah. I mean, uh, the spinoff was like, 
almost as bland as watching the show itself. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's very straightforward. Shelly Peterson, you know, she continued to be the First Lady of Ontario <laughs> uh, for the remainder of uh, the term or whatever. Uh, she also continued to be an actress and worked on and off in film and television until like the mid early 2000s. Um, oh. Harry, Harry Ditson also has lots of credits in many Canadian television shows and TV series. Um, Alpha Boucher, who played um, Henri, did a lot of French language television after this. So he kind of was like a big star in, in French language television. One person who really stuck out was actually the actor who played um, Morgan, um, Margaret's brother. So he was like just the guest star, the one off guest star in the one episode. But his IMDb page was like very interesting. So this actor's name is, I think his, I think his name is pronounced Geraint. Apologies if that's incorrect. So Geraint Win Davies. So he guest starred as Morgan, Margaret's brother. And this guy has been a guest star or a recurring character on a lot of very successful or popular Canadian series. So he's been in Tracker, Slings and Arrows, The Republic of Doyle, Murdoch Mysteries, and Frankie Drake Mysteries, to name a few. But he's just been in like all of the, like, when you talk about- All the hits. Yeah, all the shows that have been in production in Canada and has kind of kept our industry going here. Uh, He's been in all of them. So that's interesting. (laughs) Probably Um, been in a couple Saw movies. Probably. I I actually, I didn't see that. I was looking for (laughs) stuff like that. I was looking for movies, but I didn't see that in a lot of these people's resumes. I was looking for like things like, like Aaron asked me, well, what about any um, like... uh, like, like a Adam, Cronenberg film. Yeah, Cronenberg films or Adam McGoyan films. No, not so much. These people were TV actors strictly. Uh, Susan Coy, who we already mentioned, she also did a ton of Canadian series. And, you know, in recent years, she had recurring roles on Heartland, The uh, Kink in My Hair, and Frankie Drake Mysteries. Cool. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Oh, man. So I had a thought while we were talking about this, and as bland as this show is, my brain just went, you know what was on the air less than a year later on CBC? Fucking Kids in the Hall. Right? Yeah. So it's not like they didn't know how to be funny or edgy. Like Kids in the Hall is very edgy, even by today's standards. Yeah, if you talk to anyone who works in sketch comedy, even today, whether it's in Canada or the United States, they know Kids in the Hall, and it is widely considered to be a groundbreaking and significant series. Yeah. And yeah, that was produced by the same network at around the same time or just shortly after. It's, so it's wild. Kids in the Hall Kids in the Hall started in eighty eight. Yeah. So, so yeah. there you go. I'm a big kids in the hall guy. Well, I think that was my prevailing feeling watching this show was that I didn't go into this wanting to rip apart this show. No, I went not at into all. this wanting to like it because I'm thinking like I know there were great funny people writing TV in Canada and on CBC at the time. Yeah, and the idea of a political satire about kind of mundane civil servants in Ottawa—it's like right up your alley—is something I would enjoy. Yeah. And so yeah, and then like 
like you said, it's just flat. It's just, I had the same feeling that I did when we were watching Sibs, where I'm just like, did <laughs> yeah. they forget to write the jokes? Yeah. There's just too much plot and not enough jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, fellow Canadians. This this one's going on my list as like the worst show I've watched. Like <laughs> I, I, I had a real hard time even just getting through these. Yeah. Like I was I was actively I, I think I said to you guys earlier, like I was hopping mad that you made me watch this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Yeah. I mean, we don't have to like it just because it's Canadian. We can be critical of it, obviously. But it would be nice if we found one that we were like legit. I like, like lots of Canadian TV. Me too. Yeah. How many times have I gone on about Shit's Creek on this show? Yes. Like a come lot. On. It's true. I wonder if Mr. Producer would have anything to say about this show. I'm sure he I I mean, I don't know, would he? Hello? Mr. Producer? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Can you mm. can you hear me? Who is this? How did you get this number? It's Aaron Yeager with That Was a Show. Yeager was a what? Aaron Yeager from That Was a Show, the podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms. We have spoken like 30 times. Ah, right, right, right. The, the show goes on. Right, right. Is now a good time? Your assistant said you had some time. Uh, yeah, of, of course. Uh, what are we on today? We're talking about Not My Department. Not my what? Department. It was a CBC show from the late 80s. Oh, yeah, sure. CBC. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, fantastic project. Did you have any connection to it? No, nah, I never heard of it. But <laughs> you said it was... I was just being polite. But actually, I did get loaned out to the CBC for about a year back in 87 or 88. Loaned out? Yeah, you see, I was working with Tartikoff over at NBC, and well, I might have made some bad bets, and you know, the next <laughs> thing, I'm on a steamer ship to Canada. <laughs> Why a steamer ship? <laughs> I was also on the no-fly list around that time. Uh, but the CBC, you know, you had some great folks there. You know, uh, you had uh, Jacques Lapointe, uh, Gregory Sanders, uh, Miss Tiffany Sherstone, some real heavy hitters. Uh, I don't know if I've heard of any of them. Ah, sure you have, kid. We worked on some wonderful programs over there. What were some of them? Well, you know, we did The Station back in 1987. That was a space comedy. Then we did Pardon Me with Alexander Lloyd, you know, Christopher's half-brother. <laughs> we did Moose Tracks. That was a riot. And of course, I was pretty instrumental in the first major Kids of Degrassi spinoff. Degrassi Junior High? No, no, no. The teens over on Gerard Street East. <laughs> <laughs> How long did that one make it? I pretty much got canceled before the first TV break. Ah, those were some fast times in Toronto. <laughs> the CBC, she was a harsh mistress. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you about my times in Canada some other time, kid. I got a split for now. Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of informative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's always an interesting character to hear from, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do either of you have any leftovers? How about you? <laughs> I dare you each to say one kind thing about this show. You know, just to be Canadian and polite. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I do feel like we should be a little bit more polite. I mean, I already complimented Alpha Boucher, so I will I like, stick to I that. Like, I like that his name is Alpha. Alpha. I know. Um, I want to hang out in his chip truck and have some poutine. Uh, Sounds good. 
Sounds good right about now. So the one thing I kind of felt, Harry Ditson, uh, who was played the lead, Gerald Angstrom, his performance, I felt like his extreme boredom with his own government position. And his boredom matched my own boredom watching this program. So it really felt like we were in sync. And I just really, you know, I was like, he wasn't there with me, but I was like, we get each other. We get it. I don't want to be here. You don't want to be there. I got you. <laughs> Gerald, like, I get you. Yeah. It's like that old meme that was cool a while back. The same energy meme, like your face watching it side by side would be with like his face just being like, I hate my job. Him and Peterson were both very good with what they had. Well, that was a show. <laughs> It was. It would have been amazing if when we were watching this show, a commercial break came swinging in with Body Break. Oh, my God. Body Break. Oh, with Hal Johnson, Johnson and, and Joanne, Joanne McLeod. McLeod. Yeah. It's still going. Keep fit yeah. and have fun. Yeah. It's still, it's still They're going. They're still going I, strong, those two. It, God bless I them. I think, I think one of them's not on it anymore. Yeah. Mind you, when I say still, I mean like 10 years ago when yeah. I last checked in. But um, Also, this is might not be on the pod, but that TikTok I sent you, Barry, with Anana. It's <laughs> terrifying. That's, that's what I was referencing in, in my opening description. Yeah. So when we were kids in school, we would watch these videos that were designed to help us learn to speak French. And one of them featured a character that was a talking pineapple that lived <laughs> near a garbage dump called Anana. And one of the things that he would classically say was, les ananas ne dansent pas. Pineapples do not dance. <laughs> For anybody who wants to do some YouTube, and it's uh, Telefrancais. Telefrancais. What is it? Telefrancais. Telefrancais. Bonjour. Allô. Salut. Salut. I mean, speaking, uh, we talk a lot. C'est formidable. Yeah. C'est excellent. Sensational. Sorry. We talk a lot about how much Coke was probably involved in producing 80s and 90s television. I also suspect that children's programming, like French language children's programming, also (laughs) involved a lot of cocaine. (laughs) Anna now was a clean, clean, clean ship, man. Et coupé au crédit. That Was a Show is created and hosted by Bryn Burney, Andrew Barry Helmer, and myself, Aaron Yeager. It's a production of Radio Gizmo in Toronto, Canada. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. Follow us on Instagram and tell your friends about it. That Was a Show? Radio Gizmo.